Welcome to Art Talk with April, Season 2. I'm April Harris of Inked April, located in Birmingham, Alabama. This season, we'll be talking with new artists and professional expert artists. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Art Talk with April. And today we have Genevieve Flynn. She is a silversmith. Do you want to tell us exactly what silversmithing is? Yes, I'd be happy to. And hi, April. It's so great to see you and be on your program. Thank you so much. Um, A lot of people think when I introduce myself as a silversmith that I do jewelry. Mm -hmm. I do make jewelry, but the proper definition of a silversmith is someone who creates and makes tableware, flatware, hollowware. And hollowware, I explain as like a teapot or a vase or a bowl, those things that are hollow. If you Mm -hmm. think hollowware, somebody says that, then you think hollow. Um, And so I have moved from um, doing so much jewelry into doing more hollowware pieces. And they're basically one-of-a-kind pieces. I don't do production anymore. Wow, that is just so interesting to me. Thank you. I've got so many questions. (laughs) Well, and hopefully I have answers. (laughs) Um, So where are you located, Genevieve? I'm in Kansas City, Missouri, and my studio is a small, I call it an intimate studio. It's about 400 square feet, And it's located in my home, but I have a private entrance where I can bring students in and I teach some beginning silversmithing classes, as well as I bring um, national and international instructors in for people to take workshops from. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So before we even got started on the interview, we were talking about how unique silversmithing is at this Mm -hmm. particular time. So you were saying like in the Victorian era and the 30s and different times like that where maybe it was more popular. Right. Of a a, um, skill. Right. So it's very unique in your giving classes like beginning classes to this right I am I'm uh, so amazing well thanks it's um I think it's kind of picked up a little bit more here in Kansas City I've kind of I'm being much more particular about how many classes I teach because I would really like to spend my time making my work and since I'm doing one-of-a-kind pieces they take some time Mm -hmm. to get them finished because I just I have a tendency to let myself go and create these crazy things. They're not crazy, but, you know, (laughs) over the top sometimes um, projects. So, but it's always fun and challenging. That is so, okay. How did you get started in the arts? Is this something that you went to school for or how did this come about? Well, when I was, I'll give you, I'll try to keep this really brief. (laughs) When I was in middle school, I had an art teacher who really hurt my feelings. I wasn't a wonderful drawing artist or anything, but I I thought I did a a pretty good job. And so 
she kind of squelched my creativity or I let it happen. She didn't do it. And I never took another art class from about seventh or eighth grade on. I got out of school. I did not go to college. I decided not to. And um, I worked a job for about a year, met a young man here in Kansas City who was teaching jewelry classes. And so I took a workshop with him, which continued on for about a year or so, moved away, came back within a year, and I was signed up to go to the university here in Kansas City. And he talked to me and he said, there's a great trade school here in Kansas City that I have found while you were gone. And I think you would really enjoy it. I knew nothing about it. And it was at the that time, um, it has since closed, but it's the Kansas City School of Watchmaking. And they offered jewelry making classes, jewelry repair, stone setting, casting. And I knew I did not want to be a watch making person. Yeah. And so I took the jewelry classes, came out of the school after about a year, got a job at a um, jewelry store doing repairs and stuff, working with the customers. And I did that for about seven to 10 years mm. before striking out on my own and yeah. opening a small uh, business where I actually did the repairs and design for customers. And then I finally started um, applying to the American craft shows. Now, this was back in the oh. early to mid 80s. And so I started doing the American craft shows mm -hmm. and showing my work and selling it. And so that's pretty much how I started. Wow. Oh, my gosh. What an interesting start. <laughs> well, yes, because it wasn't. I had no desire or didn't even think about making jewelry for a living or doing anything like that. I really wanted to go into archaeology, anthropology. Uh, and really? Um, I, I'm really glad I did what I did, but I really am kind of sorry I didn't take some classes. But, the, you know, I'm not too old to go back and take some classes. Oh, never, never. Absolutely not. And you, you say that my son, my little son, he's seven years old he is all about like archaeology and he he right now he is all about digging in dirt and finding oh, things yes. that's great <laughs> that's the first thing I thought of was like oh my gosh yeah <laughs> I know all about that <laughs> well encourage him to continue on it's the you know I did go and speak to an older gentleman at the time at least I thought he was older I was pretty young at the time and about he was an archaeologist and he says you know you really have to love what you're doing because he says you're never going to make any money at it it's one of those things that unless you come across a big find or whatever you're just you're just out there getting dirty which yeah. I'd be okay with that too yeah I mean, there's a lot of ways to there's a lot of ways to get dirty and do things it doesn't necessarily have to be that particular field no no, no, no. So, what is it about the silver making process that just drew you to it? Like, I, I mean, I, I am very unknowledgeable about what it is that you're doing. Okay. Well, you know, I, I don't, nobody's ever asked me that, you know, how I was drawn to it. It was, 
it was almost like I fell into it. And I know that sounds funny, but because I really didn't have a direction when I came back to Kansas City and I was enrolled in college. And when this guy said, hey, check this out. And I went and looked at the school and, and talked to my parents because I was 18 at the time. Oh. And um, I was still living at home because I didn't have, I wasn't gainfully employed at that sure. time. <laughs> and um, mom and dad said, go for it. If this is what you want to do, then let's do this. And I said, you're okay if I don't go to college? And they said, it's fine. Yeah. So I had parents who believed in me and I went to the school and I don't know. I think it just clicked with me, April. I, you know, I don't, I never had this burning desire like some people grow up and they've been doing art and they love to draw. Well, drawing is not my forte because I have no bar background. And it took me the longest time to understand that I don't need a degree to do what I'm doing. I have the knowledge, I have the skills, then I can do it. And then also I've, I've worked on my drawing skills through the years on my own um, and I do a much better job, but I am not one of those persons that can do this beautiful rendering, which I am in awe of, of people who can draw and produce these beautiful things. But I'm on the other side of it. <laughs> you show me your picture. You tell me what you want, how you think you'd like it. And I can make it. I mean, I can visualize it wow. and I can produce it generally, not always. Yeah. And I mean, this is, would you say this is sort of a form of sculpture or? Yes. Yes. It can be that? put into that category because I'll just hold up the piece that I'm working on just to show yeah. you that um, this is a bowl. Mm -hmm. made out of argentium silver and I had a metal spinner spin it for me and then I came in and I did the chasing and the reposé on the surface of the bowl and then I put the handle on it and so what it's going to be it's going to set on a glass plate and so it can be like a serving piece decorative piece whatever whatever anybody chooses to do with it. Yeah. So is that an or original design that you're coming up with there? It is. Yeah, it is. Do you, when you're thinking through what you're wanting to make, are you doing like sketches or do you have a plan or is it more organic? <laughs> um, I like that word organic. <laughs> Because I seem to kind of fly by the seat of my pants a lot of times. I'll come up with an idea in my head. I will do a very simple sketch in a sketchbook. And then I take copious notes as I work through my processes. But I think many times I'll come up with an idea and I'll get to a certain point and then I'll go, oh, I didn't think this through very well, <laughs> you know? After 45 years of being of doing silver work, I still run into the wall a lot of times and try, have to figure out how to work around something. And I think it really is how my brain processes or it doesn't process. I'm not sure. Um, so, you know, I'm not one of those. I'm methodical to a degree, but not like a lot of people who really sit down and they go, okay. One, two, three, four, five. I've got five steps. I'm going to start with one where you would normally start and, you know, and go with it. I don't always do that. 
that's that sounds like a a lot um more creative process you know like like well, I don't know <laughs> and then you it have could to be. yeah and then you have to kind of I think I think I understand what you're saying is it more of like sort of the engineering of how something is going to sit right and fit together right that kind of thing yes yes yeah. Because a lot of times I'll work on something and I'll get to that point where let's say it has to sit level on the tabletop or whatever. And I'll go, oh, well, now how do we do that? <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> through my processes, I will have several things going at the same time. So I can work on something and while something else is doing whatever, yeah. I can set it aside. And so many times if I get stuck, it gets put aside. So I don't, if I try to think about it, my head doesn't allow me to come up with that option or idea. And so I just let it go and, or the best I can and work on something else. And, and it, it always comes to me. Mm-hmm. It may not be in a timely fashion sometimes, <laughs> but, but it comes to me. Okay. I, that speaks to me so much. So <laughs> I'm an, I'm an artist. I do, you know, drawings, like very detailed drawings. And I'm also a graphic designer, but oh. at times you just can't, you, you come, it seems like for me, it's like you come across a problem, right? You just have to take a step back and just let it sit for a while you know and um that happens to me in graphic design that happens to me in illustrating and drawing sometimes you just don't know what to do next you're like this is a problem right but instead of giving up on it you kind of step away and then figure out what you need to do in order to make it work you know I envy I've always looked at fashion designers and the jewelry designers that go along with the fashion and everything. And I thought, oh, that would be really kind of fun. And then I went, no, it wouldn't be fun for me at all because I don't process that quickly. I don't think, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and they have to come up with four seasonal products and they have to do it four times a year. And sometimes it's like on the spot, getting it done or you know (laughs) I don't work that way so (laughs) I think that's what that's what I struggle with in my day job as a graphic designer is sometimes it's like okay we need this this and this right I've got like three days to figure it out so you run to the gut out something and there are days when it's just like okay why is it my brain working why can't I solve this problem you know and I found just like you said just stepping away for a little while and it's not like you you're not thinking about it necessarily it's still like in the back of your head and you're kind of trying to work through one little piece or one little issue you know and then it just sort of pieces together you know yes yes I agree Yeah, I think that's such a wonderful thing to bring up on this podcast, because 
I think that's one of the major challenges in creativity and in making is being able, like when you come to that point where it's an obstacle, a lot of people, they're just like, I can't do it. I don't know how to do this. Uh, Yeah. And they don't move past, they don't give themselves enough time, like you said, to process what they might could do to figure it out and make it work. You know, it's really interesting through my teaching, um, you know, because of my art teacher doing what they did at that time in my life, I was really a sensitive kid. And so to have someone tell you that you can't do something or whatever it is she said, I don't remember, and it doesn't matter. But when I teach, I really kind of get into the nitty gritty with people of asking, you know, in order for me to teach you properly or to understand how you process, I need to understand, are you dyslexic? Are you ADD? Because if you are, there's nothing to be ashamed about. But if you don't tell me, I don't know how to help you. And so if you can tell me that, you know, you have, I don't work well as an audible learner. I work better as a visual learner or I need hands-on or, you know, whatever it is. If I know that, I can teach anybody, you know, just so we, I've learned we all process differently, very differently. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think we're taught that if you can't come up with something right away, then you're stupid or whatever it is that you're told. And I was told many times that I was not a smart person. And it's taken me a lifetime to get past that and go, they were the dummies, I'm the smart one. And, you know, I'm moving on. Yeah, that is such a great point because I think, you know, and two, I think that a lot of creative people, creative minded people are sensitive. Yes. You know, that that's like part of, I think, what draws them to being creative. You know, yes. they are a sensitive kind of person, whether it's like working with your hands or visually or whatever. There's sort of a like almost like a hypersensitivity or awareness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you're like drawn to making something. And then, like you said, you know, like I am a visual learner. So okay. if someone is like in college, if someone is just like, speaking about something yes there's no presentation or images or something like that it's just going to go in one ear and out the other and I'm not going to take it in and it's not necessarily that I don't understand you know but it's not in the format that clicks with me in particular Right. Right. And that's that's unfortunate because you may have been in a situation where you were in a big lecture room (laughs) and that's all you got. And it's like, how do I do this then? You know, I had one particular particular history teacher who was just that's all he did is he stood up in front of the auditorium 
and just talked about history. I love history today right? because I've put it into some visual context, you know, and I've, it's, and I've it's, it's stuck with me more now. It's understanding how you learn and what that's the unfortunate thing with instructors or professors or teachers or whatever is they have a big classroom to deal with and they can't always, you know, um, cater to that one person. Well, I'm I'm really enjoying the conversation because I think having the perspective of how people learn, you know, in the creative fields, it's such a big deal to me because I think I, I'm of the perspective that anybody can be creative and make. I agree. Things. I agree. And for a teacher to be like, oh, you know, you're never going to be able to whatever. Right. Said, that's that's just such a that's like that speaks to my heart in that. Oh, it just drives me crazy when people do that to other people, because it really is something that you can learn. If you have either the patience to keep going, you know, like give yourself grace to be able to like work through the problems. Yeah. And be like, okay, I messed up on this one. Let me try it again. So have you ever had like any like large pieces or anything that you were really working hard on and it just didn't work out? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. I, and I do, I try to salvage the yeah. material if I can. Sometimes I can't, but yeah. I have scrap boxes that my pieces go into. Like if I'm, I've cut a piece of sheet and I have a little scrap material, it all goes into a box. And sometimes there's a project that just is not going well and I'll put it in the scrap box. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I get rid of it, but I will go back. I have been known through the years to go to my scrap box and it's kind of like a junkyard in a way where you can go and you can pick through it and you can like if I didn't like this handle at all and it messed up this when I attached it then I can take this off and Mm -hmm. I can put it on something else or you know repurpose it I really try to reuse my materials as much as possible so of course I've screwed things up. And of course, some of them have been destroyed. They couldn't be used at all. But I would say generally, most pieces are um, could be salvageable. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I just start over. Yeah, yeah. It's It's accepting the fact that, okay, it didn't work that way. Let's just, as you said, let's try it a different way. Yeah. Or it clicks and I go, ah, that's why it didn't work. (laughs) I do that all the time. (laughs) Yes. Well, I think we all do. Sometimes we don't want to, uh, (laughs) to accept that or acknowledge it, you know, but we're only human. Yeah. And, and just being able to say, you know, it's not something where, like you're less than, or you're right. not good enough, or you can't, you're not, you're not smart enough or clever enough or exactly enough. It's really part of the process of creating and even making a career out of it is that right. 
you have to think through the problem and solve it in some way, you know, eventually. Diligent. You You have to be diligent with what you're doing. So you started a shop. Is that what you were saying? I did. I did. Your own pieces. Uh Uh-huh. And so was this like um, sort of like a gallery kind of shop thing or like what? No, it was, um, I had a friend in the jewelry business who had rented a building and he had another person in the building who sold precious stones Mm. and then he had extra bench space. And so I rented some bench space from him, which allowed me to utilize some of his equipment and tools, but I had all of my own hand tools and stuff. And so it was, um, it was basically set up as a wholesale business where I contacted jewelry stores or jewelry makers that needed repairs done, or maybe they didn't do designing, but they sold stones and they needed someone to design a piece around this stone that they just sold their customer. So I would go to each of the stores or locations, pick up the jobs, bring them back, do my work. And then when they were completed, I would deliver them back to whomever it was. Wow. That is really interesting. Like, You know, I I guess I'm like on the customer end of things, you know, Mm -hmm. where you see the finished product, right? but you don't know like who, you know, did what and what came from where and how it came into being necessarily. Exactly. Exactly. Unless you get to interact with that client with drawings or just speaking to them about what they want and everything, then you don't know the process or the time or, you know, whatever, what it takes. Yeah. Yeah. So with your work, do you have like a vision or a direction or a style that you're going towards? I've always been drawn to a very organic nature oriented style always. Mm -hmm. And so I really go towards, I really love um, Art Nouveau Mm. I I do love the I'm I'm looking on my wall here in the studio my walls are covered with postcards or um sheets torn out of a magazine because I liked the picture or whatever and so they're inspirational to me um and so I look on my wall and I see an old Byzantine Um, neck piece and I'm really drawn to that even though it's very simplistic the -hmm. processes are the same that I do on the chasing and repose it's all gold work and so I admire that I think some of it is just admiration of them having the skills and the concept but not having the tools that I have so I wonder about how they came (laughs) to make that um but yeah I love very um uh nature oriented I love insects I mean you can come into my studio and you'll see insects lying around I didn't kill them I picked them up (laughs) um I'm I'm a firm believer in not nature provides for me whenever I want something so um so I, I'm I'm really drawn to that type of thing. Yeah, I am too. Do you? Are you? Like, yes, I love. I'm like kind of like in a way what you're doing. Like you have yes. a lot of 
organic shape and curves, right? In your right, work? right. Is that something that's easier or more flowy to do with the silver? My take on it is um, soft, sinuous lines are easier to correct than an angled you know, piece. You have to be really exacting for that idea. And I'm not a super exacting person. There are many things that I'm very exact with, but sometimes it's not not that idea. And so um, I won't say it's any easier. It's different, you know, with those like in the Art Deco period of having all the geometric lines and forms that is much harder to cover up a mistake if it if your square is wonky or whatever. Yeah. So I've never been really great at that. So maybe that's why I go, you know, the direction that I go with my work. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> it's like me, like um, in high school, my art teacher would always fuss at me because I wouldn't use a ruler. Ah. And I just I don't know why, but it was just one of those things where I just would not use the ruler. She's like, come on, it's right here. Why aren't you using your ruler and making this straight? But I love that curvy, flowy kind of line and also feel the same way. Like it's easier to kind of, is it that it's more workable and flexible and that you can actually you know, maybe even change direction if you need to in hmm. something. Yeah, that makes sense. You were doing the bench work stuff and had your own business, but now you're doing like craft shows or festivals. Right. Kind of thing. Right. Okay. How did you, um, like, I guess I would like to know, what was your experience in getting started in doing that? It was really intimidating, you know, because I I have always been of the thought process that why do I have to start at the bottom when I can try up here? And if that doesn't work, then I'll come down to that next level. Now, that doesn't always work with everything you do in your life. But with what I was doing of choosing craft shows or exhibitions or whatever yeah. that worked because I just went ahead and started with the American craft shows, which are really, they've always been kind of the cream of the crop of artisans across the country that get chosen to participate. It's difficult to get in. Yeah. Um, and I had several years where I didn't get in, but um, you know, I just, I thought, um, that's the direct. I never wanted to do outdoor craft shows because I don't want to deal with the weather. Oh, yeah. I, I really dislike the crowd that usually comes to the craft shows. Um, it bothers me that they bring children in strollers who mm -hmm. care less about, you know, going through a craft show. Yeah. They bring their animals. And usually, you know, all these craft shows are during warmer weather mm. and I feel like 
it's a disservice to the animal and the child to make him go through this. And then everybody gets angry and cranky. And, you know, animals have a tendency to react when it's not a good situation. I, I just don't. I don't like outdoor craft shows. I've done a couple of them and one is very close to home and that's why I do it. But generally the shows that the American Craft Council put on, they're all indoor shows and I don't have to mess with the weather. And all of the people, you know, are funneled into the, the center, the convention center or wherever they're held. I guess I'm not as familiar with the American craft shows and exactly what well, that is. Like, are okay. you, are you traveling to other states? Or? I am. They, okay. they, um, I'm getting ready on October 7th, 8th and 9th. I will be in St. Paul, Minnesota doing my first American craft show in over 20 years. Wow. And this is a little bit smaller show. I think it's like 200 and it's under 300 exhibitors. And I chose to do this smaller one. It's closer to my home. It's six hours away. So I can drive up there, set up my booth, Mm. participate, drive back home in a relatively short period of time. Um, so the they only have I'm not sure if they even hold all of these that I'm going to name but they have one in San Francisco they have one in St. Paul one in Baltimore and there may be another one but I don't remember and I also got accepted to the Baltimore show which is in Mar- the very first of March of 2023 and that show is closer to 500 exhibitors of all different kind of exhibitors so you jury in for any of these they have a peer um, um a group of people who jury you in and then sometimes you're waitlisted sometimes you're rejected that's just the game you play and um so these shows are I hate to say it this way, but I don't know how else to say it. It's they really are the higher echelon mm-hmm. artists in their fields yeah. who get accepted. Now, with that being said, some of these jurors don't always jury higher quality pieces in. Um, and, you know, it's just the game that you play. You never know who's going to jury. You never know what they're looking for or at. Sometimes they don't understand, like you were saying, I've not, I'm not real familiar with silversmithing. That's the same thing. You could have a painter who is a very well-known painter who's jurying this show, and they don't know what they're looking at when it comes to ceramics or metals or glass, or maybe they are an expert at glass and painting. So it, it's difficult, you know, I I kind of quit years ago um, beating myself up because I didn't get into the shows. It's like, I don't know who juried it. It's their loss, not mine. I'm moving forward, you know, and, and move on to the next show. If you search Genevieve Flynn, I usually come up pretty, pretty high on the search list. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is really awesome. I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. And I have learned so much. 
thank you so much for your time and and being willing to chat with me. It's really been a joy, April. I, I hope to stay in contact with you. Yes, absolutely. And I am going to be looking for some glass and metal work. Okay. So <laughs> you're going to see it. You're going to see it. It may not be like in the next three months, but you're going to see it come. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're it welcome. Was- Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Art Talk with April. For more information on this episode, join the Facebook group, The Art Lounge. Please subscribe and share. See you next Tuesday. Hope you have a great week.